championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome into the LakersNation.com live post-game show. My name is Trevor Lane, senior writer for Lakers Nation. Make sure, if you're not doing so already, that you do follow us over on YouTube. Make sure you turn on notifications as well. Oh, we've got a game to dive into for this one. Can we just skip it? Matt, the optimist Peralta, can we just skip talking about this game? This is this is not going to be a pleasant experience diving into this one. The Lakers absolutely demolished by the Chicago Bulls rough outing Alex Caruso not really a revenge game but Lonzo Ball certainly had one I don't know Matt what what do we do here can we just do we just forget about this one uh Trevor you are the host of this show I am just your uh your casual guest here so whatever you want to do my man <laughs> it's up to you but uh <laughs> obviously we're no. not gonna just cancel tonight's show because of the loss but uh, I'm gonna tell you right now Trevor I don't have too many takeaways other than the Bulls played a lot better than the Lakers tonight. <laughs> Did um, that was that was a rough one. The Bulls shot ridiculously well. In fact, Lonzo Ball by himself. Get this. So Lonzo Ball, twenty-seven points on the night, seven boards, eight assists, two steals. A new season high for him, because of course. And Lonzo shot seven for ten from three. The Lakers shot six of thirty-two from three. Lonzo made mm. more threes than the Lakers on 22 less attempts. That tells you how. Mm. I'm not good at math, Trevor. No, that's, but that that's definitely not good. a good thing. Zach Levine dropped 26, and both of those pale in comparison to DeMar DeRozan, who dropped 38 plus six assists on 15 of 23 shooting. The Bulls shot 55% on the night, 44% from deep, and that was actually with some misses and garbage time. They were above 50% from three for a good chunk of the night, and the Bulls are not a three-point shooting team. Dead last in the NBA in three-point attempts, and tonight wow. they were red hot from behind the arc. Unbelievable. Meanwhile, for the Lakers side of things, uh, you had Anthony Davis with 20 and six, and... The night ended early for him. An ejection, which we're going to talk about. I thought it was a very bad, bad piece of refereeing, but we'll dive into why. Russell Westbrook, 25, 6, and 8. 8 for 19 shooting, but 0 for 6. From deep, Taylor Horton Tucker, new career high. 28 points, 6 boards, 2 assists, 1 steal for him. Uh, Alex Caruso continues to be the plus-minus king. Oh, no, wait. Zach Levine just barely edged him out there. Plus 33 for Zach Levine. Alex Caruso, plus 28, did not score. Only took one shot. And still, that, that is a very Alex Caruso line. stat line if we've ever seen one. So, Matt, I guess let's get into the, the heart of this here. Um, I've got a lot of fans in the chat that are not happy with the way the game was coached mm. by, from the Lakers side of things. Sure. And we do need to dive into that. Uh, in fact, let's just hear I've got a, a super chat just came in. Landon Archuleta said, how long do you guys really think Vogel is going to last? Not saying it's all his faults. Um, what are, oh. is Vogel on the hot seat at this point? Um, I don't want to say he's on the hot seat per se, but I do think that there it's getting pretty warm in there. Um, just because I think that the losses have, it, it's one thing to lose games. But it's another to lose games in the way that mm -hmm. the Lakers have lost them. Um, they've been so up and down. It's been a roller coaster, like we said. It's it's one day things look pretty good, and then the next day it comes crashing down. And today they 
crash yeah. very poorly. I don't know if you can crash well, but they just crash. They crash bad. Um, you know, the, we, we thought the Minis we thought the Portland game yeah. was a low. We thought the, we thought the <laughs> OKC game games back. were a low. We were lows, and then lo and behold, they got to Minnesota. That was that was bad. They responded well yesterday, and then you have today. Uh, granted that you know the Chicago Bulls are a very good team. They're uh -huh. now nine and four. Uh, they I. I, I think between them and the Wizards, they they have to be considered the surprise teams of the season so far, sure. given how well they've out they've outdone expectations. All with former prior to Lakers. The yep. All with former Lakers. I think. <laughs> oh man, um, I can't wait till the Lakers play the Wizards because I'm sure that'll be the next yeah. uh, the theme for the season. But um, as far as the question's concerned, I don't think Vogel is necessarily on the hot seat, but I do think that he and the coaching staff have to be feeling some sort of pressure to get this team you know, back to what they can be. I know that no one wants to hear this. And I'm honestly, I'm sick of even mentioning it at this point as well. But injuries are indeed sure. a factor. It's hard to coach a team when you don't have your best players available. Uh, and one of them just happens to be LeBron James, who <laughs> covers a lot and a lot and a lot of mistakes here. Uh, I made this analogy a couple shows ago, but uh, LeBron is kind of the makeup that makes the Lakers look pretty. Without that, this is the team that you're going to be seeing for the foreseeable future. Dave McMenamin fortunately did say LeBron, he thinks that LeBron could make his uh, return yeah. during the road trip. So that's good. I'm um, not sure if that's necessarily Wednesday or if it's going to be later, but it's good that he's nearing return. So hopefully things kind of get back to normal and the Lakers look better. But in the meantime, until that happens, this is just kind of the these are kind of performances you're going to have to live and die with if you're if you're a Lakers fan so, this year. I mean the the hope is that these performances won't last too much longer. I mean tonight I I think I don't want to reduce it to just this, but the Bulls shot great and the Lakers shot terribly, right? Like to to some degree <laughs> that's going to matter, particularly when we get into this. So like for Frank Vogel, just to stay here. Frank Vogel did essentially what Lakers fans have been screaming for weeks now to do. He benched DeAndre Jordan and benched right. Ken Bazemore, right? Anthony Davis is at the five. They're still having issues. But that doesn't excuse, I think, what happened tonight. And I think, and to me, this right. is my biggest issue with this game. You're going to have bad shooting nights, right? That's that's going to happen. But the lack of, lack of an adjustment to the Bulls' defensive scheme yep. was a big, big problem to me. And that's why I do, and you guys know, I try to just call it like I see it. And more often than not, I try I empathize with Frank Vogel because of the things that you mentioned, Matt, the, the injuries and all that stuff, the roster shuffling in and out. That can be a really difficult thing to deal with. And I know the knee-jerk reaction for a lot of fans is just blame it on the coach, get rid of the coach, he's the problem, all that kind of stuff. But tonight, I did think that the adjustments or the lack thereof were very glaring. Very glaring in, in this game in Correct. particular because if you didn't get to see this this part of the game or if you tuned it out or if you played one of Matt Peralta's drinking games and so now you don't remember that part of the game, <laughs> this is what happened. Essentially, the Bulls, they, they went small because they're missing their center. Nikola Vucevic is out right now due to COVID protocols. And, uh, and so the Bulls play small quite a bit. Uh, but what they were doing was just double and sometimes even triple teaming Anthony Davis, sometimes off the ball. They were doubling Anthony Davis, just making anyone else try to beat them. And the Lakers struggled to figure out how to adjust to this. You saw Russell Westbrook take advantage a little bit. And like I said, he had a, a pretty decent night. But for the most part, they just didn't capitalize on the opportunities the Bulls were giving up. See, in basketball, when you take something away, you give something else up. 
That's the way it up. works. Yep. And the Lakers did not do a good job recognizing that. I always say, one of my favorite phrases, is you punish a team for their choices. The Lakers did not do that tonight against the Bulls. And a decent amount of that falls up. Part of it is the shooting. Part of it is poor shooting from three, and no doubt. But a decent chunk of that falls on Frank Vogel. Yeah, you know, I thought this was the most glaring thing, and you saw it right from the tip, is that anytime Anthony Davis caught the ball, no matter where he was on the floor, the Bulls were happy to send another helper or defender toward his way, mm-hmm. force him to get rid of the ball, and then rotate yep. behind the action. Honestly, I'm surprised that teams haven't tried well, they're to gonna do this see more. It. They're going to they see it from Lakers. here on out. But they're going to see it a lot more now. Well, I think... I think right now, particularly, and I made this point to you on Twitter, is that I said the teams can get away with this right now because you don't have LeBron James mm-hmm. uh, on the floor to to kind of counteract that and, and punish teams, like you said, for their choices here. Because once Anthony Davis swings the ball out and he gets the ball to, Le- Anthony, uh, to LeBron James or someone else, he's able to make the next play and find the open man and hopefully knock an open shot down. But um, I think historically with Anthony Davis on the Lakers in particular, what I've noticed, and I'm sure you've noticed this too, is that he's not as fast passing out of double teams. He kind of yeah. waits a beat and then passes the ball out but by at that point you know the defense behind them has already uh rotated over they kind of zone up behind them and they're able to cover the other four guys on the floor um ideally once ad gets the ball and he gets and he sees the double coming he should pass yeah. that ball instantly and then keep the ball moving that way but we didn't see that a lot tonight and then i think the other frustrating thing and then i think this is where you can probably blame vogel a little bit here is that they didn't get anthony davis um in the lower block yes. where he could do more damage i thought that they had him catching the ball too often from like the free throw line extended where there's more help that way. Um, that's just not, it's not, and it was frustrating because you saw it happen over and over and over again. It was like watching, you know, broken clock, like nothing changed. And so it, it was basically forcing 80 to make tough shots over, over two defenders or scrambling and having someone else on the floor, make a play. And that's just not uh, good. It offense, was crazy. I think. It was, it was, uh, it drove me a little bit nuts, Matt, because it was like the Lakers said, well, we're struggling to get the ball to Anthony Davis in the post, so let's just not post him up anymore. He's playing right. against a bunch of dudes that are 6'6", and the solution was, oh, well, we're let's give in to what they want and let's not have our dominant interior presence in the paint anymore. That's madness. It's a it's a swing, swing, attack off the dribble, force the defense to, to collapse, and then you're either getting the ball up on the rim and letting AD feast on the offensive glass, or you've got a drop-off pass to him, and we didn't see that much at all. And again, part of that is the threes. Look, the Spurs did this too. The Spurs did this, did something very similar in the second half last game. Last, last night, actually. The Spurs did something very similar because AD was crushing them. And so they attempted a similar strategy. The Lakers countered appropriately. They put in shooters. It was a quick swing, and then they were getting open threes and knocking them down. They weren't attacking into the paint like I'm suggesting for tonight, but they were knocking down those shots. Tonight, when they did react appropriately, the threes were not falling, but far too often they didn't react appropriately to what was going on with Anthony Davis, and it's like they just, they kind of caved. They just said, well, we can't figure this out, so let's just not do it anymore. Yeah, just two two quick things. Um, I think that anytime the Lakers have one non-shooter on the floor, teams will yes. always send that person to help off of it, to help onto AD. Uh, in this case, it was Russell yeah. Westbrook's man. <laughs> um, and I think you're going to see that a lot, especially in the playoffs. You know, if I mean, I don't want to say this out loud, but you know, if the Lakers make the playoffs at this yes. rate, I'm sure they yeah. will, guys. Don't worry, don't worry. I think they'll get there. It's just you know, I just you know, don't you just don't know. But uh, if there's one. 
non-shooter on the floor, they're always going to send help toward AD or LeBron. I think you're going to see that no matter what. And then two, as far as your point is concerned, I think that there is a way to get AD, you know, into better positions. You know, screen for him off ball, generate some switches, get him on the move without the ball. You know, that way he doesn't have to worry about trying to create with the ball in his hands too much, ease that burden a little bit. And then you also don't have to worry about, you know, uh, throwing, you know, your basic entry pass. There, there are things that Lakers could have done here, and it's been pretty disappointing up until this point in the season to see them not be able to adjust. And frankly, no pun intended, um, they should have been able to yeah. figure this out because they've yes. seen this before in the playoffs. They've seen it. Like, this is not new. If you've watched Lakers games for the past couple of years, you've seen teams repeatedly do this, and the Lakers have either been slow to adjust or refused to adjust yeah. outright. It's, um, it was certainly frustrating. In that regard, seeing the lack of adjustment there, uh, we do need to talk. I want to get into Taylor Horton Tucker and what the Lakers were doing with him and what they were doing with Russell Westbrook when he was on the floor at the same time. I think that's something inter- interesting to talk about. But first, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the 360 award. I'm not giving it to AD, uh, who, who was, I mean, we can't. Oh, can. Uh, didn't think he was nearly as big of a factor as he needed to be in this game. Part of that was scheme-wise. Part of that was on AD and we can talk about the ejection too, but Russ, I think was one of the few Lakers who kind of recognized what the bulls were doing and said, okay, cool. Then I'm just going to put my head down and get to the basket. And he didn't have a brilliant game. It's not like a transcendent performance, but I thought he was better than what AD provided eight for 19 shooting nine of 10 from the free throw line, 90%. Russ has been shooting 65% for a while. So that's a nice night from him. Six boards, eight assists, 25 points. Uh, four turnovers, so kept the turnovers down. Part of that due to what happened with Taylor Horton Tucker, and we'll get into that in just a minute here. But what did you think? I, I thought Russ was pretty much the only guy to actually capitalize on what the Bulls were doing to take Anthony Davis out of the game. Yeah, you know, I don't think it's surprising that the two best Lakers tonight were the physical guards yeah. in THT and, and Russell Westbrook. Because, um, you know, for all the things that we... Because, like, look, I love Lonzo, I love Caruso. Those guys are... I don't know if you want to go this far, but I think they might be the best defensive backcourt in the NBA right now. I can't think of one off the top of my head better than those two, but those guys are great. But they're also not the biggest guys. You know, they're quick. They have good anticipation skills, you know, high basketball IQs. But when it comes to, like, raw physical talent and and physicality, I think THT and Russ have them beat. So I don't think it's a surprise that those two guys were able to put their head down, like you said, and get to the rim and force the issue a little bit. I think that was pretty crucial when the Bulls were schematically taking Anthony Davis out of the game. They basically were like, "Hey, beat us off the dribble, force your shots over the rim, and then see, and then we'll, we'll, and we'll, we'll and live with those shots, the right?" Threes as well. And they give up the open threes, right? Exactly. So, you know, as far as the 360s awards concerned, I definitely think it has to go to Russ. I thought, you know, he was a pretty big bright. He was a he was one of the few bright spots I yes. thought in stretches for the Lakers tonight, especially for a team that seemed. Uh, once they got punched in the mouth, uh, you know, it was hard to conjure mm-hmm. up any energy for the rest of the team for the rest of the night. So it was good to see Russ and THC taking it upon themselves to do that. So I, I'm going to go with Russ, but I think it's almost by default Well, it at this felt point. like every time the Lakers would start to make a run, the Bulls did a great job countering and coming right back. And that's and look, that's, right. not, that's not anything new. I had I had Bulls fans so mad at me during this game because I tweeted out something. I said, I said, if you think... Uh, that teams don't get up to the play of the Lakers, you need to think again, or something like that. And people talk, took that as a shot against the Bulls. No, I was more referring to the fact that clearly the Bulls were fired up to play against the Lakers. Not saying they're normally a bad team. They're a very good team. They've been great all season long. But they were extra focused tonight, and we saw that with their three-point shooting. was absolutely locked in. Every time the Lakers went to make a run, next thing you know, it would be like Lonzo and Levine back-to-back threes, 
and then the Lakers have scored, you know, two quick baskets on their end, and you're still losing six to four in that exchange. And that was uh, that was what we saw all night long. They did it against the Clippers too last night. The Bulls uh, actually, the Clippers came all the way back yep. and took the lead late in their game, and the Bulls just came right back and put the lead right back up to like seven or eight. They've been very very good all season long. So all credit to them. Sports betting is a lot of fun, but it can also be a little bit overwhelming. At least that was my experience. I struggled getting into it at first. It just felt like there was so much out there, but BetQL Daily helped me out a lot. You can understand where the market is moving, which smart bets are out there, and have some fun listening while you're at it. BetQL Daily is sponsored by FanDuel, and it's the must-listen show for sports bettors and sports fans alike. What I love about this show is the entertainment factor. It's not just informative, but it also is just a lot of fun to listen to. The hosts go back and forth. Joe Ostrowski, Joe Giglio, and Aaron Hawksworth do a great time serving up wagertainment the sports talk you love with the betting insights you need each weekday. You can find out where the market is moving across all of the week's biggest sporting events. And if you miss out on earlier games, BetQL Daily has you covered there too. They give you recaps from some of the biggest recent moments in sports, so they really have you covered across a number of bases. If you're not sure where to start with sports betting, start with BetQL Daily, presented by FanDuel. Listen weekdays, 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Odyssey, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Um, Andrew Talavera from YouTube with a super chat said THT had a good game, but whenever he made a three, he forced one the next play. I feel, um, that's, uh, the next one up possibly, but I like what he's doing. Yeah. I mean that you can certainly criticize THT for being maybe a little too aggressive in this one, but this was out of hand too. And it's not like he shot a poor percentage, four for nine from three, nine for 19 shooting. I'll take those percentages all day. Six for six from the line, six boards, two assists, one steal. And one turnover, and this is what I want to get into. Played 37 minutes, 28 points on the night. Matt, there was a lot of THT in the game, Russell Westbrook in the game, Russell Westbrook not handling the basketball, THT handling the ball instead. Yeah. So what did you make of that? Is that simply, is that cutting down on Russ's turnovers? Is that simply preparing for LeBron's return and trying to get Russ ready for that? What, what was your take on that? Because we saw it a little bit last night and we saw it a whole lot more tonight. Um, I think the glass half full approach here is that I think Frank Vogel is just trying to get THT back into a basketball rhythm. And I think at this point, the outside shooting, you know, improvement, or at least, you know, the flashes of it have, have been pretty good so far, but I think THT at his core is going to be at his best Uh with the ball in his hands. And given that he was one of the few players that were playing well tonight, I think that Frank Vogel said, you know what, this kid's doing well tonight. Let's give him the ball and have him create and see if he can make something out of it and and spark the team a little bit. Because um, I know you can flip it the other way and say, we know we just don't trust Russ with the ball and that we need to cut the turnovers and we want to limit the decision-making burden on his shoulders. But I do think that in this case, it's more a matter of THC's got to go in tonight. Let's keep feeding him the rock. Let's let him, you know, create go one-on-one or collapse the defense and make an extra pass. I think it was more of that more so than, you know, we don't trust Russ. I kind of feel like it was maybe a little bit of everything. It was, you know, I mean, sure, yeah. Because we've seen Russ get frustrated with himself for the turnovers. So if the ball's not in his hands as much, or if he is more of a secondary creator, he's not being asked to create shots for everybody, then you're going to limit those turnovers. And then maybe you limit his frustration. So, I mean, right? It sounds terrible, right? Limit his turnovers by just not giving him the basketball. <laughs> but, but 
Um, right. It, it kind of worked, and I think it is going to be reality for Westbrook when LeBron gets back. Because let's face it, he's LeBron. The ball is going to be in his hands a lot, and Westbrook has to be used to playing off ball. We've seen the Lakers use Taylor Horton Tucker. Whenever LeBron's out, THT has always kind of been handed the LeBron role in order to kind of keep some type of cohesiveness with the with the offense. And I mean, and obviously THT is not LeBron, but just in terms of skill set, he's probably the closest to him based on just what he can do with the basketball. So that's what we've seen from the Lakers. And it kind of seems like what they did here in this one. Um, I don't think it's the wrong move. I'll tell you what was wrong though. And I know this was driving a lot of people crazy, just like me. How many times did we see the ball given to THT and then four Lakers standing? Uh, you could say that about. Oh yeah, yeah. You could say that about though. a lot of possessions, right? But you could <laughs> say that about Russ. You can say that about a lot of guys. But it was glaring how often the Bulls had things running off ball, and the Lakers did not. And again, you know, we've we've talked about this in training camp. They focused on the defensive end of the the ball first because they've got LeBron and he can fix things on offense. They're going to install their offense as the season goes. But still, still. It's tough to watch THT crossing over, crossing over, doing everything he can to get free, and everybody else just kind of standing. Yeah, I just I I don't really know what the offensive principles are for the for the Lakers, like what their core principles are on offense. Like I would love to hear someone or Frank Vogel talk about yes. that a little bit more in depth, but they've got, you know. I'm not the biggest X's and O's guys, but they've got some, they've they run do. some really good stuff when they get yeah. like, out of bounds plays or out of timeouts. Like they've got some good plays up in their hands or up in their sleeves. But um, when, and within the flow of the game though, like it's, it's weird that the Lakers don't instinctually like, you know, exactly. screen off ball or make cuts or, you know, relocate. Like there are a lot of different things that you can do within the flow of an offense that don't necessarily require play calling. Um, so I'm just kind of curious what Frank Vogel's staff is really doing mm -hmm. like game to game. Cause like, I can't imagine they look at the tape of this game and go, you know what? Offensively, I think we looked okay. We just didn't hit shots. Um, half of that equation is true because you, you didn't yeah. shoot very well tonight. But when we say, you know, play calling and plays, it's, it's really about the quality of looks and how you're generating them. So more so than, you know, actually yeah. making or missing them. And so for the Lakers, it just seems like they're kind of fighting with one hand tied behind their back because it devolves into a lot of ISOing either Anthony Davis at like the mid post area or Carmelo Anthony. You saw that a little bit tonight, Russell Westbrook and THT alone at the top of the key trying to create it's, it's those kinds of things that are really frustrating to watch as a fan because um, it's, it's one, it's mm -hmm. very predictable yep. for a defense. Like you're, you're basically going one on five at that point. And then two, uh, they're low percentage plays or they're low percentage, uh, shots at that point, because especially when you watch the Lakers, you realize that they take so long to get they into really an, uh, an offensive action or set. So they'll, they'll, they'll here's, here's like a typical Lakers possession. Uh, the other team scores, they'll take the ball out of the net, they'll inbound it, they'll walk it up the court around like 17 or 16 seconds. And then, you know, Russ will throw it into AD around the mid post area He'll kind of survey a little bit, and then you'll get to like seven or eight seconds on the shot clock, and it's like, oh, yeah. dude, what do I do? And then and that's that's the whole possession. And multiply that by, you know, four quarters worth of possessions for the Lakers. You're not going to score that many points that way. So I guess that's me on my soapbox just complaining about, like, what do the Lakers actually do offensively from game to game? And what does Frank Vogel yeah, think about it? That, that's something I that know. I would like to hear explained in a little bit more detail as well. Now, again, this isn't, I don't want this to be, this is all on Frank Vogel. It's not. Part of this was, it's not. they missed shot. Like, if the Lakers shoot, what? If the Lakers shot 35% from three, 
this game looks very different, right? Like, like I'm not saying they yeah, win, it's a close one. but it's yeah. closer. And then maybe people aren't as upset afterwards. And, and right, like some people would still be upset, but there wouldn't be this much negativity, right? If, if those threes were were dropping, they didn't tonight. Those shots did not go in, so that's a hundred percent a factor here. But just in this particular game, I thought that the lack of adjustments and the off-ball stagnation was very, very noticeable. And so that's why it's something that I want to get into. But there's no, there's no single, we've been saying this all season long, there's no single person or thing or whatever to blame for this particular loss or the Lakers' struggles this season. It's been a lot of different things that have come together to create some rough performances and so I don't think the knee-jerk reaction of just pointing it at something and saying that thing, that's to blame, I don't think that's accurate because it's a lot more nuanced than than just that. Yeah, I think it's yeah. a hodgepodge of things, really. And and I think the difficult thing, as far as basketball is concerned, and I think, you know, in this case, it's 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 more unique in this way when covered because games are like yeah. every other day. And so if you have one issue, it persists for multiple games. It's not like football, right? Where, you know, you, ha- you play one game a week, you have a very clear issue that explains a loss, and then the next week they, they rectify it because they have a whole week to just focus on fixing that one thing. But when you get to basketball, it's like, all right, well, LeBron's going to, like, for example, injuries, right? Uh, LeBron's out. Uh, you can't fix that within one game. You know, he's been out for the past week, so there's going to be multiple games involved. And so if the Lakers struggle without LeBron, lo and behold, we're going to mention yep. it every time it happens because it's an actual thing. Uh, same thing for the offensive philosophy. Like, this isn't something that they can just, you know, completely throw out the old playbook and reinstall a new one like that's going to take time if they went that route so you know it's going to be a work in progress this is kind of the thing is that it's a grind it's a marathon when it comes to basketball and covering it throughout the regular season and as a fan it can get frustrating watching the same thing happen each and every night but when you put things into context and you and you take like the macro view of things you have to realize that this stuff is going to take literally weeks or even months for it to get fixed um that's why i said you know i'm gonna reserve judgment on the team until like maybe mid-season when everyone is knocks on wood <laughs> like hopefully healthy <laughs> but you know right now like again this is just the reality of things right now you kind of just have to take your lumps mm-hmm. this was another bad one tonight um it was particularly frustrating because you saw the bulls yes. like how much fun yeah. they were having how well they were playing and i think that kind of like rubs salt in the wound uh for the lakers but all in all, it's one loss. It's not time to panic. But you can be disappointed and you can be frustrated with how they've looked. I think the most frustrating for me, frustrating thing for me hasn't been the X's and O's. It's just been the competitive spirit yeah. for the Lakers. I think that's what fans are really upset about, in my opinion, is that how they lose has been the, very bad the body language. or concerning. Yeah, body language, the mentality, um, you know, not being able to respond when they need to. And it, and it's particularly even more frustrating when it's a veteran team that knows better. Because um, that coming into the season, that was supposed to be one of their strengths. Is there a veteran team that has experience and that they know that it's going to take time and blah, blah, blah. But they shouldn't be getting blown out this no. frequently this early in the season. Yes, I know LeBron's out. Yes, I know you have a whole new team. But... You can show some more fight. You can show some more spirit. You can show some more energy and effort. I know, like, these are things we don't like to boil down games to. But, again, if the Lakers lost tonight, like, 121 to 116, I wouldn't have been upset. Like, at least that told me the game was close. They were in it. They got punched in the mouth, and then they punched back. Like, that's totally fine. Like, that's good process. But how they're losing is bad process. Um Someday I never expected to see this. Antoine S with a super chat. And by the way, guys, I'm going to be getting into the super chats if you've submitted them. I'm going to be getting into those shortly. 
Antoine has said, Year of the Return, Fire Vogel, and bring back Mike D'Antoni. <laughs> oh. I did not expect to see that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I remember, man, if you're an OG Laker fan from like seven years ago, people oh, were calling they were for that big guy's time. Remember, that was the, the big thing was, okay, we went from D'Antoni to Byron Scott. Now we're going to play some defense because we got to... Hey yeah. Trevor, I have a good question for you, and I think the easy—I think the okay. answer is easy personally. But who has been the best Phil Jackson, uh, post Phil Jackson head coach for Ooh. the Lakers? Uh, I mean, it's got to be—it's got to be Vogel. He won I think the, the answer is easy. Right, but I think I'm just getting a lot of like flashbacks to uh, people calling for a head coach's sure. head this early in the season. So I'm um, just wondering. It's- it's easy to forget. Sure it is. <laughs> so here's a comment we got from Facebook. Sometimes it's hard. Lou ago said, sometimes it's hard to listen to you, Trevor, since you keep on defending someone just to keep your job. You sugarcoat too much. <laughs> what What have Sorry, we been sugarcoating tonight? <laughs> we have not been sugarcoating anything. Uh, I told you, I've talked all about how frustrated i've been with uh with frank vogel's offense in this one and how i didn't think he, he made the right day we're just uh, saying maybe it we're nicely. saying it too nice maybe we should be yelling maybe that 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 would get it through you sh- but you guys should have come to our uh our viewing our, our beer launch party where i uh that, hot yes fly that's where unfiltered. they should have been for sure but um uh, and here's the other thing i'm not paid by the lakers there's no there's no like trying to keep my job that that aspect of that that's why i can say some of the stuff that i say that's why i can talk about players that are on other teams if i worked for the lakers i wouldn't be able to because then it would be tampering yes. um yeah two things here if the lakers want to pay me and oh yeah, yeah i'm not saying it, I that's one <laughs> uh two another common misconception is that trevor a lot of people seem to think that you own like yeah Nation. that is that is this this common thing that's that's out there which is not the case but uh, yeah, um, Chad Beard from YouTube, the super chat. I'm going to get into some of your super chats here, guys. Uh, said, yes, give me something yeah, else right. to talk Trevor, about. Trevor, do please. you believe all the losing of blowouts will affect morale and buy into the long-term goal because the body language is terrible? So we just kind of talked about that. Do you feel like uh, mm-hmm. the Lakers in some ways are, uh, do you think this is a going to be a consistent problem in terms of the body language issues, hanging their head, that kind of stuff. Like these early losses are going to kind of have them gun shy later on in the season. Mm, I, I, okay. So the optimist in me want to says, wants to say no. And I think that's actually the answer. I do think it's no. Um, I just have a hard time imagining like this, a team with, you know, these many talented players, or at least, you know, Russ, AD and LeBron having three superstars on their team is going to let them do that. Um, but I will say that I think losing, often this early and and how they have been losing will take mm-hmm. some sort of effect or toll. I think, you know, they have they have more of a hole to dig out of. Yes. I think that's where I sit on it. But I don't think it's going to persist all the way throughout the season. I think really what the Lakers need is they just need to pick up, you know, uh, they just need to go on like a three, four, heaven forbid, a five-game <laughs> winning streak right. and have some quality wins <laughs> sprinkled in there. And I think that way you'll, you'll start to see, you know, the confidence back. Because I think that's another thing, too, with the Lakers we haven't really talked about too much. Is there doesn't seem to be a lot of confidence in, in the team right now as a group. Um, and, and I think that's just coming from a place of, you know, mm-hmm. when we get down, like, who's really going to step up? We're not really too sure yet. Um, we don't really know how we want to play yet either, especially with LeBron James off the floor. Um, I think those are all factors that we need to consider here. But again, 
I, I for like the umpteenth time now, if the Lakers are healthy and they've actually had time to practice and get to know right. each other better on the court, I, I think you'll start to see them playing a lot better. I mean, of course, they're still going to have losses here and there, but I don't think the losses will be this egregious. Hopefully At least not. I hope not. Um, Jesse Taylor said, you guys helped me through a lot. Thanks for everything. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for the super chat. We appreciate you're it. You're welcome. And this is an opportunity. Look, at I don't take the stuff you guys say in the chat too personally or anything like that. I know a lot of it. I know a lot of it is people coming in and venting. And hopefully by the end of the night, we all feel a little bit better. I get to vent a little bit. Matt, the optimist, even gets to vent. Uh, so his optimism meter gets to refill just a bit. So this is, uh, <laughs> if you guys don't know, this show first started, the first year we did this, was uh, when the Lakers had Lonzo and B.I. and all those guys. Like back then, when the Lakers were getting just Ooh, annihilated. 2017. And it started off as a way to kind of vent after games and really just let loose a little bit and commiserate. And it was a rough season and they lost a lot of games. And so that gave us a lot of opportunity to do just that. Now, as the years have gone by, obviously they've gotten better. We've spent more time celebrating wins and things like that. But this still holds that that purpose as well. It gives everybody an opportunity to kind of vent a little bit after a tough loss and get out some of their frustration and then hopefully feel a little bit better um, by the end of the whole thing. So that's um, that's definitely part of this here too. Yes, these are good venting opportunities for me because right after games, I'm a fan too. I get very frustrated or upset with the Lakers because I've got a lot of personal investment sure. in this team. You know, I've been a Lakers fan for my entire life. So I know what it's like when the highs are high, but when the lows are low, they suck. Uh, but I'm spoiled because, you know, a lot of fan bases don't have the luxury of saying they won a title within the last, uh, I don't know, uh -huh. uh, year. <laughs> so there's things to be optimistic about and there's still things to you know keep in perspective but you know overall this is a good space for lakers fans to come in and and let us let us know your thoughts i like talking to to you guys because i feel the same Absolutely. things <laughs> but i just say them i just say them we a lot are, nicer we're all going through all of that you know matt saying he's a lifelong lakers fan same thing for me i grew up on this team my earliest memories of the lakers so this is is definitely something that's a passion of ours too and so we totally get it when people come in and, and vent and, and all that kind of stuff. And trust me, the things that I say during the game usually isn't the same as the stuff that I say in the post game. I, I tone things down just a little bit because we got to keep things family. family. <laughs> If you guys uh if you guys want to hear us speak more and filtered, we will start doing Twitter spaces more frequently going forward. Hopefully. <laughs> Those ones are wild. <laughs> oh, okay, guys. Trevor's mic's out. Uh okay, I think Trevor can still hear me. Um, I'm not sure. Can can the stream hear you, Trevor? It's, it's one of those nights, huh? Okay, nope. Looks like Trevor's still fixing it. So guys, you know, I'm not looking at the chat, but I just want to let you guys know I appreciate all the comments, the feedback, the, the engagement and back and forth we have on Twitter and Instagram. Right, I, I see all of it. So... Okay, great. I was just about to plug my Instagram because I need to let them know that they can talk to me and follow me on Instagram and I respond to DMs. Um, Trevor Lane actually just started following me on I Instagram. Did. I'm not sure if you guys knew that. Yeah, so, you know, he and I have built a really good relationship on there now, too. So if you guys want to talk more Lakers with Matt the Optimist Peralta, hit me on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> it's, it's a nice plug for Matt's Instagram while I was fixing my uh, my audio issue there. 
Very well done. I'm a professional. Very well done. All right, let me get into a few more of these super chats here. Uh, somebody said, what's really going on with LeBron's injury? So it sounds like LeBron might be back even next game. Uh, I thought he might even come back tonight. Right. It was more minor than the Lakers had feared, and so that's good. They're just being cautious with him, and, and they should be. So, yeah. That they should. This is look how bad the team has looked without him. If if he they rush him back too early mm -hmm. and he reinjures something again, hope that doesn't happen. But if it happened, guess what? You're gonna see a lot more games like these. So yes, take the long view approach. It's still pretty mm -hmm. early in the season, so they still have so much time to make up ground in the standings. I'm not even worried about that right now. I just care about everyone coming back healthy, and then I can start to properly yeah. evaluate this team. Absolutely. Uh, Paul R said, "Issue: No defense, no offensive direction." Uh, I think we've kind of gotten into all the specifics of that so far, uh, but there's defensively, there were some concerns. Some of it was defense. Some of it was the Bulls just hit some ridiculous shots. I mean, when Lonzo is hitting threes, fading out of bounds from the corner, there's not a lot God, you can ridiculous. do about that. Now, there, again, not saying the defense was great. It's not, it's not like the Lakers played great defense and the Bulls just hit ridiculous shots all night. They also hit a lot of open shots, but... The Bulls also yep. hit a number of contested shots where the Lakers played good defense and it just didn't matter that much. So each of those uh each of those fourth quarter threes from Lonzo just felt like middle fingers. Did did you feel that way? Yeah, a I little bit. That way. I mean, it was definitely as as much as we were focused on Alex Caruso, this was definitely a, the Lonzo revenge game. You know, I don't think we talked about this enough either, but this was also kind of a DeMar DeRozan's uh, you slighted me game. True, yeah. I mean, when the Lakers <laughs> decided to go with Westbrook instead of DeRozan in terms of a, a trade situation, absolutely. Yeah, that, yeah, like, jeez, <laughs> man. Like, that, he had, I don't know what it was. I didn't realize he had 38 points. Like, it felt, it, I knew he was playing really well, and I knew he kept scoring, but I didn't realize he was Because everything was so effortless. Uh, it wasn't like he had to really exert himself to score on a lot of these shots, but he was he was phenomenal, and he's hitting right. threes and doing all these things that we thought he he could not do. So uh, he was good. Well, two two of them were threes. The other thirteen field goals were layups and mid range jump shots. And I think it's when you get mid range jump shots from DeRozan like that, and he's on, it just kind of feels like death yeah. by a thousand paper cuts. <laughs> so. Acute um, Bavada said, "I feel like every Lakers game since the championship looks and feels the same: a win that doesn't feel great, a loss that we should have won, or a blowout loss. What's behind the pattern? I mean, I oh. think the common denominator is lots and injuries. lots of injuries. That's what we saw last season. That's what we've seen so far this season. I'm not saying that's the sole reason, but you are right. There are there have been a lot of games where they lose, or I'm sorry, they win." but it doesn't feel like a great win. And so that kind of robs you of those feel-good moments. And all you can focus on is all the negatives because they've got the losses feel really bad, right? Like this one, this is a bad one where they really got blown out or they lose to a bad, they lose, it's close and they lose, but it's to a bad team. So then that stings that much more. And then the wins they're getting are kind of just barely winning or they're falling backwards into a win. I think the only true like good win they've had this season was the one over the Miami Heat. I think the Cavs game is up. Okay, there too, that's fair. That's that's fair. They've been win. good this season. Yeah, but no, to your, I was just about to bring up that point. Like, out of the eight wins the Lakers have, how many of them yeah. have felt good? Not that many. You know, I also haven't been thinking about this, though, too. There's a lot of people who say, you know, this Lakers team, they've got so many question marks. Can they really get the job done? All that kind of stuff. We were saying the same right. stuff in 2019-2020. If you think back to we back to that time, I know we think, oh, they won a championship, but a lot of people just forget 
that until that last weekend before everything shut down, the big knock on the Lakers was they're not good enough to win the big game. They can, win, they can win against some of the weaker teams, but they're not going to beat the best teams in the NBA. And then they beat the Bucs and they beat the Clippers on the same weekend, and then COVID hit and everything shut down. Yeah, they played the Brooklyn Nets right before then too and, and actually lost to a bad Nets team, but I'm going to forget about that. Um, they finally got that big breakthrough win and then COVID hit and everything shut down. Wins against the Bucs and Clippers. And then they go on to win a championship, so we kind of forget that they had this hanging over their head. This team has, I'm not saying they're the same, but this team has some negative things hanging over their head too. But looking back, we think, oh, that team was just great. They were so fantastic. No, there were a lot of people who thought that team was a, was a pretender, was not really that good until they really started to pick it up about, what, three quarters of the way through the season? And then they got into the bubble and they continued that. And a lot of people too will say, oh, that championship doesn't really count. Because it was in the bubble. They wouldn't have won if they weren't in the bubble. bubble. Oh, I don't think any team was hurt as much as the Lakers were by things shutting down when they did. The Lakers had just gotten rolling and just beat the Clippers, just beat the Bucks. They were firing all cylinders. And if you remember, Giannis had just gotten hurt. And then the Lakers, what did they lose? Home court advantage. That disappeared. They had been working for that all season. And poof, that's gone and they still go on to win a championship. So to me, I don't buy that excuse that, oh, it was in the bubble, that's why they won. Anyway, that's kind of an aside, though. But what I'm saying is even that team, even that team had plenty of issues swirling around them, and a lot of people said they were not a championship contender until they won a championship. Okay, I think I'm going to push back just a little bit, only because I think that 2019-2020 team... Um, well, one, that yes, team made sense on paper, I thought. Um, and then two, um, they didn't have the same expectations that the Lakers did because they, they were still kind of proof of concept. But now this Lakers team has won a title, and so that's the expectation. But the 2019-2020 team, because remember, the Lakers weren't even one of the, if I remember correctly, they weren't even one of the top three favorite teams that, that season. Not I think it was between the, the Bucks, the Clippers. Yeah, heading into huh? the season. They, it was Once the season really got going, it was the Bucks, it the was Clippers, the, and the Lakers. Once we got to the midseason. Yeah, but I think preseason, a lot of people had like the Sixers yes, ahead yeah. of them too. So I think that's why, you know, that team, well, I do get the comparison that they were saying that like, you know, the Lakers teams aren't, right. this, they're, they're a good team, but they're not going to be that good. But this Lakers team in particular, there was a lot of hype coming into the season because, oh, they traded for West Westbrook and oh, the West is wide open, right? We right. don't know what the Warriors are going to look like. The Nuggets are hurt. The Clippers are hurt. Um, is the Sun season real? Because was it a shortened off? Was it the shortened season and young legs and blah blah blah? Like there were a lot more question marks heading into this one. But I think the Lakers at the time were, and I think we're guilty of it too. We said, you know what? Yeah, yeah. There are less. There are less questions about this team. But lo and behold, here we are now. And so I think that's why it feels worse is that the expectations for this team were a lot higher than the 2019 true, 2020. True. Yeah. Team. And again, I'm not saying this year's team and that team are the same. They're very, 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 very different. Very different. Very but different. I'm just saying there, you know, there's going to be even against a good, even for good teams that go on to win an NBA championship, there's still going to be question marks. There's still going to be concerns. Again, we had that discussion a ton that season about how they couldn't win the big game. So just saying. Uh, yeah. One last thing. Um, I guess maybe this is another thing that fans have been, you know, maybe frustrated about or have been wondering about is that, you know, that 2019, 2020 team, now that you brought it up, uh, that team was a That's lot true of too. fun. Like they were, they were like the vibe, sorry, like <laughs> the vibes were good. So this year's team, I'm having a hard time, you know, getting the same kind of feel or reaction from them mm -hmm. when I watch them play. 
like to me they very clearly look like a team still working through things and it's kind of like a um it's like watching i don't know like what a good analogy is here but it's basically kind of rough to watch them because they're, they're literally figuring it out in real time but that 2019-2020 team you know outside of opening night they where they lost to the clippers quick. i thought yeah. they hit the ground running yeah like they knew who they were quick they were a big physical mauling team defense first smash mouth basketball like frank vogel likes to say uh since then though i think they've been really struggling to figure out mm. who they are as a team and how they want to play stylistically i have a hard yes. time figuring them out too i know they're they're a faster team they're a more up-tempo team they're launching more threes than they did last year but to me it still doesn't quite feel like they've embraced that side of themselves yet so Maybe that's why I'm not having as much fun watching this team. Not because they're losing, but just because like I still don't know yeah, what to make of them exactly. Um, and I don't think they know. They don't know exactly what they're going to be just yet either. Uh, Lords of the Sky right. from YouTube said, the Lakers have to know they have a target on their back every single game. You would think they'd have more of a competitive mindset. Trade the jerseys. Uh, LOL. Yeah, you know what? This is <laughs> Every time they've worn now. that jersey, which has been twice, it's been a bad loss ban the jersey. I don't like that jersey that much anyway. I think the mix of blue and purple is weird. Ban that jersey. It's uh, very hard to see. Let's yeah. put the jersey, send it to Vormir. Nobody's jumping off that ledge in order to get those things back. <laughs> Just put it there. Let the creepy red skull watch <laughs> over them and leave them there. I, I think that's what we need to do with those things. <laughs> he said launch yeah, them why Vormir. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, yeah, just bring back the Mamba jerseys please, and wear those for the rest of the season. Do. Let's just do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's, cool. it, that's the problem, man. It's not the shooting, it's not the defense, it's not the offense, it's the, it's jerseys. the jerseys. That's what it comes down to. There's zero and that's two in right. them so far, so yeah, it might be. That's right. Okay. A few more super chats here. Uh we do have a master lock to get to. The next man Yeah, I know. Ugh. I know. The next man up, um, I mean, I think the next man up is pretty. What's that? Answer here. Yeah, we I think it's pretty clear. Pretty talking about it, it's Taylor Horton Tucker, very obviously. Yeah, no, no complaints yeah, here. The next man up is pretty easy. It's Taylor Horton Tucker in this one again. We've we've spoken about him a bunch. Uh, the problem here's somebody from YouTube with the super chat. So the problem is the defense. They move their feet. They move slow on their feet, and they're closing late on opposing players' three point attempts. So is this problem I have fixable? I okay. have said this a lot. So <laughs> expand on that thought, then, Matt. What did, what's your take on that situation? Slow feet and closing out late. Are they closing out because they're slow, or are they closing out because they're not making the read and they're slow? I think to the, the second part about making the read slower, I actually think they've been better uh -huh. about it recently. Um, that's that's definitely a coaching thing. However, one of the concerns I had about this team coming into the season was that there are not a lot of fast no. players on this team outside of like Russell Westbrook and LeBron, etc. Um, I know you think of young legs, you think of THT, you think of Monk, you think of Kendrick Nunn he's back and healthy. But uh, think about the rest of the roster, though. You know, uh, DeAndre Jordan, Dwight's been pretty good for a big guy. But then you got you got Carmelo Anthony out on the perimeter. We don't know what Trevor Ariza looks like when he comes back. Ken Bazemore, Ken Bazemore's like mm -hmm. not the fastest guy out there. So I think for me, like foot speed on this team perimeter wise is kind of going to be an issue. And that's a personnel thing. If it's a personnel issue, that's not going away. You just have to either find yeah. ways to adjust with it or you're going to have to live with it. So to me, yes, the reads have been pretty poor on some nights. But, you know, I think as of recently, they've gotten a little bit better as far as rotating out and actually making an effort mm -hmm. to get out to shooters to contest. But I do think that 
they're just not as quick this year. Like last year you had Alex Caruso and Kentavious Caldwell-Pope and Dennis Schroeder. Like these are guys that can, you know, make up ground. This Lakers team doesn't have that though this and year. And that was a big part of Frank Vogel's defensive schemes was guys who can cover ground because yeah. he would blitz. People were asking me uh, during the game, actually, why the Lakers aren't blitzing pick and roll as much anymore because that was, and we've we talked, talked about, about this. This, this is what they used to do, but they yeah. don't really have those guys to do that anymore. And so Frank Vogel's trying to adjust on the fly. I did see later in the game, I think it was Dwight and somebody else. Maybe it was Dwight and THT. They blitzed the pick and roll like they used to. I don't remember specifically what came out of that play because it was definitely garbage time by that point. But we don't see that as much from the Lakers at this point. And that was a big part of Frank Vogel's defensive mentality or his defensive scheme was taking guy, the, the pick and roll, sending two guys at the main ball handler, the main threat, and then forcing them to make that pass and trusting that your three could cover enough ground to defend the, the man disadvantage there to go three on four. And the Lakers did that. And they did it very, very well in the championship season. But I don't know that they have the personnel to do it this year. I mean, like, like I, as you were talking, I was thinking about, like, okay, what would be a lineup that the Lakers could feasibly blitz pick and rolls, right? And that lineup has to have Anthony Davis, LeBron James, yeah. those two are locked, right? It's AD, um, LeBron. And then I think at that point, I think yeah. you would have to say Russ, because I think he has the foot speed, but I think he'd be the one blitzing the ball. He wouldn't be, like, one of the three guys hanging I back, I think you need rotating. THT's wingspan in center field. And I think, you know, at that point, you're kind of stuck between either Kent Bazemore or Trevor Yeah, I mean, Ariza, if Ariza right? is healthy, he'd be the other guy to be on the floor in that in that mix if you're going to blitz those. Right, because, again, like, when you blitz, so let's just back up a little bit. When you blitz a ball handler and you force the ball out of their hands, you're essentially playing three on four yeah. behind it, right? Um, and ideally, you blitz the ball when they're on the sideline because you have less. You give the ball handler less passing angles, and it's a tougher pass, etc. Right? But let's say you bl you blitz the ball handler. You have three on four mm -hmm. on the backside now, and so now it's kind of this. It's kind of this thing where you need to zone up behind the behind the action, and then you need to be able to make the proper reads and rotations because the second guy that blitzes the ball handler needs to come back. Um, and they need to find the open guy that that's that's been left open. So you know it, it requires it a lot of communication and coordination. That's why I was um, saying that to make myself feel better, I watched the 2020 uh, finals <laughs> highlights, <laughs> particularly the defensive ones, because if you watch it, they execute it pretty perfectly. Um, it happens all the time. And then by blitzing the pick and roll, not only do you throw an offense out of whack, but now you're getting mm -hmm. the shot clock issues, and now they have to force something out. And, you know, you kind of have to scrap the play at that point. So that's why I'm a big proponent of it, but having the personnel to do it is an entirely different story. You can't do it when you have two traditional bigs out there. Like, if DeAndre Jordan's ever out there again, you're never going to see them blitz it. So it's going to have to be a smaller ball lineup, and you're going to have to have at least two wings, ideally LeBron James, and then either Kent Bazemore or Trevor Ariza in that mix. Agreed. Yeah, and I think that's something that uh, that hopefully when Ariza is back and healthy. By the way, he was shooting on the court th uh, today for the game, getting a little bit of work. Still a few weeks away, I believe, from being reevaluated. And uh, a little bit of news here on Kendrick Nunn, too. Frank Vogel still said he's a ways away. He was supposed to be re he was Bone supposed to be reevaluated like a week yeah. ago, but you just you just never know with how those heal. Um, let's do the the master lock of the night. So let's get to that. So chat, let us know. If you're coming in from YouTube, from Facebook, from Twitter, let us know who you think should be put in Chris Masters' finishing hold, the master lock from this game. It can be a Chicago Bull. It can be a Laker. It can be somebody else. It can be, a, sometimes it's a, it's a concept. But let us know who you think should be master lock tonight. And Matt, I'll go to you. What? Who are you putting in the master lock from this one? 
it's been a while since I've had a creative one, and I'm actually surprised we got all the way through this live show and did not mention the hot topic mm-hmm. for today. But um, I would like to master lock the luxury Ooh, tax, Trevor. Okay. Um, be- well, I don't want to say for causing the Lakers Alex Caruso because they had a conscious decision to sign him. <laughs> um, and it looks like Trevor's mic might have gone out again. He's not. There we go. I I'm, think he can I'm hear back. me. I, but hit the, I, I hit the. Okay. Plot. I was. I gestured, and I. And I was I just about to plot. say, Trevor, if you need me to, if you need me to solo this live show, <laughs> I got it. I've done enough so of these now. You're master locking the luxury um, tax. <laughs> yeah, and, I guess we can mic, do that as well. That's gonna be. But no, I've got to master lock the luxury tax because it was the reason that the Lakers gave as to why they did not want to re-sign our beloved hero mm-hmm. Alex Caruso. Um, a lot of news came out this morning. As why as to why the Lakers didn't sign, decide to sign him yeah. or what they countered with and what Alex Cruz was willing to stay for. Um, I don't want to no. get too, too much into it, but uh, reading it again was just like, it's like you get over a breakup and and then your ex comes back and she's like, hey, I'm doing way better than you now. It, it, mm-hmm. it hurts. It stings. I'm like, I, I had just gotten over losing you and now here you are in my face again and you're just flaunting in front of me and I and it's because I didn't want to pay you <laughs> enough, I guess. I'm sad. So that's I'm gonna go master locking the front office and and yeah, and luxury agreed. tax. Yeah, I mean the luxury tax is a good one. And again, uh, I still think that it would have been worth it to keep Caruso around. But I also understand yes. what uh, what the Lakers were looking at there. And I threw this out there on Twitter, not to say the Lakers should have let Caruso go, but I do wonder how many other right. guys aren't Lakers if Caruso is. Because obviously, obviously, at least one sure. would not be a Laker, right? Just because of roster spots. At least one person's not a, not a Laker because if Caruso had stayed. But I wonder how many guys would have looked at it as, well, if Caruso's there, we know he's getting minutes. Are there really that many opportunities? Like Austin Reeves came to the Lakers specifically because he knew things were kind of in turmoil, right? In terms of th- there was no set and established wing player that was going to come in and get all of the minutes immediately. It was going to be a little bit more of a toss-up. And that he could maybe get into the mix there. And he also knew that it would mean more if he was a Laker and he showed well. Uh, But, I mean, Malik Monk's probably thinking the same thing. Kendrick Nunn. I don't know how many of those guys are Lakers. Maybe it's it's all of them. Maybe they would all still want to be Lakers. But it's just something we'd have to factor in that the team would look different with Caruso had he stayed. But, again, I still think they should have kept him around. Um um, yeah. Wait, really quick to that point. Can you imagine how much Twitter would have blown up if we got a Reeves and Alex Caruso backcourt? Oh, geez. I mean, <laughs> the, the Twitter would have just imploded. Yeah. It, that would have been amazing. Been, it would have been just too much awesomeness. But really, well, well, to your point, though, really quick, like, what's really the opportunity? I'm looking at the roster right now. I'm trying to figure out, like, what's the opportunity cost of Alex Caruso. I I mean, the only one I can really think of would be none, would yeah. be none and Malik Monk. Yeah, those two are probably the ones who um, because, probably aren't. Because they definitely could have gotten more elsewhere. Because Austin Reeves signed before True. free agency yeah. started, if I remember correctly. Because the draft happened before free agency. Um, Wayne Ellington was always going to come, I think. Avery Bradley got cut by right. the by the Warriors before the uh, season started. So I think he was going to be a Laker. Rajon Rondo, same thing. So um, would I rather have Alex Caruso than Malik Monk and Kendrick Nunn? Um, I think at this point the answer is yes. Because we that, haven't and seen And that's Kendrick where it's Nunn hard, right? If you're the, the Lakers in the moment, in the yeah. offseason, and you're thinking... Alex Caruso or Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk, and Kendrick Nunn is going to cost half of what Caruso's asking for. 
that's where it gets a little, I mean, it's, again, I still lean Caruso. I'm just saying it's a little bit more of a thought process there. Not not to beat a dead horse or anything, but, you know, Caruso was a proven commodity yes. next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis. He knows the team very well. For continuity's sake, it would have been good to keep him around because we harped on this a lot, but the Lakers only returned, I think, three guys from last season's team, THT, LeBron, and AD. So having AC back would have been cool. Um, and, yeah, you know, he's still a developing player. You know, he's a little older at this point, but he has shown year to year that he improves on something. Um, and I think that was that would have been still worth the investment for the Lakers. It's not like you were giving a max contract or anything. But you know that I, I'm done. I'm gonna that, that's my piece. I don't want to talk about it too much anymore. It's just gonna hurt me. All right. So. so let me get to my master lock. And mine's gonna go. Not surprisingly, if you've been been listening to the whole show, uh, mine's gonna go to Frank Vogel because of the lack of adjustments. And I think that's uh, that's deserving in this one. And then I saw this quote from the post game. Frank Vogel. He said the Lakers haven't seen the types of double teams that Chicago deployed tonight against Anthony Davis and gave the Bulls credit for their scheme. Interesting. Not seen that. I'm going to say you could throw different wrinkles into double teams. That's for sure. But still the Lakers should know how to deal with a double team on Anthony Davis. Like it's not like AD has never been double teamed before. Right. So that, you know, you would you would think the Lakers do some self scouting within think. their team, but right? here's the like, other thing though too is Frank Vogel is the kind of coach where when things go wrong in one game, he makes adjustments after that. He's good at adjusting after the game. We saw that in the playoffs and they won the championship. The game one, yeah, my point they exactly. would come out and they would not have the right schemes, and then by game two, he, they would have it all fixed. That's kind of what he does. The in-game adjustment has not been a strength of his. So maybe that's par for the course. But again, tonight I thought that it was pretty obvious that whatever the Lakers did to adjust just simply didn't work. And again, part of that was the three-point shots not falling when they did recognize and they were able to get an open look. But still, I I felt like those adjustments were just not enough. I I hope no one's surprised because Frank Vogel has said this, you know, almost outright but he's like i i like to keep things you know as consistent as possible i like to stay within our base lineups and our base coverages and i like to keep things as relatively the same so we can build on that and you know have that continuity going forward so it shouldn't be a surprise that you know he's not like a coach like i don't know like eric spolstra or nick nurse in toronto that make adjustments on the fly and are really good at it um i think maybe that's another thing lakers fans are frustrated is that coaches around the other league seem to say you know what let's uh to hell with it let's throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks and yeah. if it sticks we'll roll with it uh frank vogel is not that type of coach he's very much a conservative kind of coach where he says you know what i have my principles i have my philosophies i believe these will work um so i'm going to stick with them but when you're talking regular season games and you're losing like this it gets it gets harder to defend him when somebody he, when just, like that. just put in our chat vogel and trevor must be related if the, if that's the case, then I'm not getting a Christmas <laughs> present from him this year. I just put him in the master lock. Come on. Oh man, yes, I've, I've seen I that comment to. a lot actually. All right, um, <laughs> I've got a comment here from YouTube super chat. Said, did anyone ask for Vogel's input in the trades done this summer? I feel like, and in the NBA, coaches have to adjust with trades done by managers and players. Yeah, I mean, to a degree, that's that's true. It's not like it's not like the NFL where you're finding players to fit a coach's system. In the NBA, right. it's you're finding coaches to fit the, the players that are on the team. So, right. yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I think when high-level decisions like that come out, obviously he's not involved at the, the beginning or like the 
I can't imagine Frank Vogel's going to Rob Polinka or LeBron and Aiden saying, hey, we should get this guy. I think it's more the other way around. It's like, hey, Frank, we're thinking that we're going to add this guy. Um, maybe not necessarily what do you think, yeah. but just be prepared. I, that's that's kind of my yeah, read. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, we can talk about Vogel only got a one-year contract extension. I mean, with that being the case, that's probably, oh, yeah. I don't think he's got a ton of say. Right. I mean, the Lakers went out and like, do you think it was Frank Vogel's idea to go out and get a bunch of guys who individually aren't being aren't known as being good defenders? Probably not. No, probably not. This this has to be this. I, this is where again. So <laughs> two things. Um, one. And I, I don't know if I've seen this hot take, but I've thought about it a little bit. The hot take is that the Lakers only offered him a one year extension to cover for themselves if the Russell Westbrook move doesn't Ooh. work out. Just, Ooh. you know, next putting level it out there. there. Mm-hmm. Well, think about it, right? Russ is a gamble. They had to have known, like, adding Russ as an explosive element to this team is either going to propel them to a championship or it could crash and burn. Like, those two are very within the realm of possibilities. And so, um, like what we said, the first thing to get blamed anytime a team is underperforming or underwhelming or is losing, it's it's to blame the coach. So, if the Lakers only give Frank a one-year extension because, hey, we made this gutsy move. If you can't make it work, we'll find someone who does. I could totally see that being some some motivation or reasoning sure. behind the move. But I'm speculating that hasn't no. been reported anywhere. This is me as a fan reading between the lines. And I don't even know if it's right. But I'm just putting it out there. That is interesting. Um, I hadn't thought about that. Two, Google as like the fall guy. Well, I mean, like you even hired, um, God, this Fisdale? is getting too much into a rabbit hole, but they hired David yeah. Fisdale too. Yeah. Like it, that's the guy that LeBron likes. Like, I don't think it's a surprise that the two lead assistants for the Lakers have been guys LeBron likes. Uh, Frank Vogel was fortunate enough to lead them to a title in 2020. So, you know, there's some goodwill and good fortune there and some confidence in him, but you know, after last year's debacle and then so far this season and all the pressure from the fans and the media, like I, I you know, Again, I'm not saying it. I'm not reporting it. I don't think it's even true necessarily. I'm just thinking it's something to you know, keep in the back of your mind as far as maybe why they, they only extended him for one year. Uh, but what I was really trying to say was, too, is that um, th- I feel for Vogel in this sense is that this isn't the kind of true. team that he's yep. accustomed to coaching. This is a complete 180 from from what he's normally, you know, accustomed to, to you know, Mm-hmm. you know coaching is that he has two traditional bigs he plays defense first offense will come like he really seems to lean on turnovers generating fast break points and transition yep. points right uh half court offense really isn't his strength and you can that dates all the way back to indiana like all those teams were great defensively even orlando same thing so this has to be an adjustment for him and so i think he deserves a little bit of credit that he's been willing to make some pretty not drastic moves per se but he's been able he's been willing to make adjustments or moves this early in the season honestly for me as a pessimist as far as frank vogel adjusting i'm surprised he went this route so to me to see him do it this early seems to me saying okay i have to admit i have to lean into this way now i can't i can't do what i normally yeah, do yeah and this a lot of this was okay frank here's this team but i know and frank probably went Where's my defenders? Well, you're a good defensive coach. You'll figure it out. That was yeah. the common sentiment. That it was kind of like he's like the yep. panacea or the cure-all for for the defensive woes. It's like, hey, we still have Anthony Davis. We still got LeBron. Um, I know these guys all aren't don't have reputations for being good defenders, but you know what? We trust you to figure it out. But you know, it's, it hasn't really worked uh, out. Somebody too asked, would well Mark yet. Jackson be a good replacement coach? I feel like like no. Mark Jackson fans, I think have a, have Mark Jackson in higher standing as a coach than teams around the NBA do. 
If that wasn't the case, then yeah. Mark Jackson would have already had another head coaching job. Yeah, there have yeah. been some pretty good openings. I don't see, like, I, I, I don't know. Like, see, that's my other thing, too, as far as the who fire vocal stuff goes, is, like, who, who... Yeah, and I think the easy answer right now is David Fisdale. I can't imagine they bring a um, outside no. hire midseason to coach the team if they went that direction. It'd have to be someone in-house who doesn't cause... As, it won't cause as much turmoil or upheaval. But... Yeah, like I can't think of a good candidate off the top of my head. I mean, that would take a Lake, Phil a Lakers Handy? coach job right now. Phil Handy would be cool, yeah, but sure. he's unproven. Absolutely. I don't, I don't know. How... Yeah, I'm just saying, like, you know, this is this isn't even supposed to be a conversation right now because we don't even know if he, his job's I'm actually a lot in danger. Of Phil or not, Jackson comments so. right now. Of course they are because, you know, it's Phil Jackson. Um, I can't wait. Oh, but you know that's never gonna happen with Carmelo on this roster. Oh yeah, that's true. But but Phil Jackson, he's not. Sorry guys. And LeBron, come to think anymore. about it, that's that's that. Oh man. No. Okay. Well, look. In summation, now the Lakers head up, head out on a road trip, and it's gonna be a five-game trip starting in Milwaukee. It's on Wednesday. So yeah, it's one. a tough one. They have they have what Milwaukee, and then is it Milwaukee, New York? I'm trying to remember the order. It oh, no, is Milwaukee, right Boston, is Mo- New York, Boston. Oh yeah, the Pistons. Pistons are mixed in there. New York and then the Indiana. Indiana that's right. Indiana back-to-back. is the other team in there. So that's a, I mean that's a tough stretch. And I've got people asking when is LeBron coming back? Uh, sometime on this road trip. It could be next game. Like from all we've heard, he's really close to being back. He could play Wednesday in, in Milwaukee. Maybe he plays Friday in Boston. Um, we'll see. But it sounds like he will be back on this road trip unless something changes. But it's it's basically like if if tonight's game was a playoff game, LeBron's playing, right? Like that's he's at that yeah. stage of of the recovery process. It's not like he couldn't play if he absolutely had to. The Lakers just aren't going to risk it right now. Yeah, they're taking the conservative approach. Yes. We've talked about this previously. It's the smart thing to do. Like, I know it's frustrating to see the team lose like this, but you have to keep the long view. This is a team uh-huh. that's built for the playoffs, not the regular season. LeBron needs to take as much time as he needs to to get right and get healthy. I know that upcoming stretch, you know, outside of the Bucks game and the um, Knicks game, you know, might be tough. Um, I mean, I know those two teams, those two games will be tough, but I think the Lakers can stay afloat. Like, what to you, Trevor, what is a good, like, I guess outcome or finish for this road trip. I was I'm thinking say three, three and two. Is three like and two would reasonable. be excellent because you've got a couple of teams in here. Like like the Bucks are obviously very very good. They're the, the reigning champs, so that's going to be a tough one to win. But then if you can beat one of the Knicks or the Celtics, right, pick up a win in one of those games, and then you beat the Pacers and the Pistons, I think that's pretty good. Can I tell you a secret, no. Trevor? <laughs> no. Way. Okay. I only care about two regular season games. The two Celtics games? Yep. I, you know, I, I'm a, I know I'm a little younger, so I don't have yeah. the whole like 80s Lakers Celtics rivalry, but the 2008, yeah, the 2008 finals still uh-huh. burns me to this day, and I'm still annoyed that they lost it. And I, I, I just legitimately can't get over it. So anytime, the, and look, like it's weird to say this, but I like a lot of the players on the current Celtics roster. I just, the franchise I can't get behind. Um, this is why I say all the time, like, you know, for anyone that gets really annoyed when they hear like, you know, Lakers Warriors, Lakers Clippers, whatever, to me, it's still always Lakers Celtics. So I, I will never be able to root for that team in good faith. And 
I again, they only play the Celtics twice a year, but those are the only two times I ask the Lakers that they absolutely need to win those games. Otherwise, it's I will the, be the race upset. for an 18th NBA championship for for dominance in the NBA hierarchy of championships. So it, yeah, the Celtics are always going to be one of those games that you you mark on your calendar, right? I know a lot of fans right now are more upset with when they play the Clippers than when they play the Celtics. Sure, um, which I guess I understand. But yeah, you always want to win that game. You know, I think back to the game that they won in Boston the first year LeBron was a Laker when Rondo hit that fallaway jumper at the buzzer. Yeah, that was oh, absolutely that was awesome. fantastic. And the crowd yeah. is going berserk and Bill Belichick is sitting in the middle of everybody not reacting at all because he's Bill Belichick. Um, but, you know, it's yeah. like you want to see moments like that. You want to see these great moments in this this rivalry. And so I do hope that the Lakers show up for that one. I think it was last year... So last year, the year before, they got blown out in Boston where it wasn't even close and it was just not a fun experience. So I definitely don't want to see that. It was, I think it was last year because the, I forgot, oh man, now I'm having trouble remembering too. Because there was one year where LeBron hit a uh, turnaround jumper over Jalen Brown that essentially sealed yes, it at I Staples think that Center. was after they got blown uh, out in Boston and then the Celtics came and saw them at Staples and the yeah. Lakers kind of got even by winning that game. That was the game that Jason yeah. Tatum went nuts. Um, I remember um, future, future Laker Jason yeah. Tatum, by the way. He did that. Yeah, he did that. Ad in but a, anyway, Lakers yeah, jersey. looked good in purple and gold. Uh, you know, what's funny for LakersNation.com. I had that article written and then they had decided to take it out of the video. So then um, it's just oh, kind of lost in the ether now. <laughs> but anyway, um, yes, road trip. I think three and two is good. I only really care about the if the Lakers go one and four, but they beat the Celtics. I won't be that upset. I would still be upset. But again, I'm sure you would be upset, but like for me yes, as a fan, I'd be absolutely. like, all right, you want to see them way. win against the Celtics. All right, guys. Yeah. I appreciate everybody coming in. Obviously, there was a lot to talk about tonight. Um, it was a frustrating game, certainly. And I know a lot of people were able to vent. Hopefully, you all feel a little bit better after, after this. Um, sometimes it's nice to talk through some of these things when we have a, a difficult loss like this one. Again, not a great showing by the Lakers losing to the Chicago Bulls. Um, the only thing they can do now is try to bounce back and they'll get an opportunity to do that on the road Wednesday. Uh, sometimes long road trips can serve to bond a team to, to help them really come together because you're away from family, you're away from friends, everything else that you have at home and you really only have the other guys on the team to hang out with. So maybe this will be a bonding experience for the Lakers, but will be a long five game road trip and we'll see what they can do with it. Uh, Matt, thanks for coming on here and uh, helping me get through this and... I at least I feel a little bit better having having talked this much about what just happened. No, I feel a lot better. You know, these post game shows, like we oh, said earlier, no. um, they're Matt, venting. Session. I completely forgot to talk about the Anthony Davis ejection. Thank you, Ken Ken Jiang. Oh, thank you from YouTube. How I guess did we got to talk, talk about, about that. It. Okay, sorry, and we we can't we can't go without having talked about that. Oh my goodness. So Anthony Davis, his shoe comes off, right? I thought he just, it looked like he just crumbled to the ground for no reason. At first I went, oh no, he's hurt, right? Because, well, you know why. Um, but no, he, he slipped out of his shoe and he goes to put his shoe back on and the referee just hands the ball to the Bulls and says, go. And Anthony Davis, he said, that's BS, right? Because typically what refs do, they give you Easy the way. courtesy of allowing you to put your shoe back on. And the ref didn't, didn't do that. 
And so the referee then threw Anthony Davis out of the game. I thought that was just a poor piece of officiating. That is a common courtesy that you typically see extended to all players. Not, it's not a superstar thing. You typically see refs allow a player to put their shoe back on. And uh, and he didn't do that. And Anthony Davis called him out on it. And the ref got offended and, and threw him out of the game. And I thought that was ridiculous. On the plus side, it got Anthony Davis a little bit more rest in a game that was already over. So, okay. But still, it was... I, I just thought it was a it was a bad piece of officiating by that referee in that moment. Yeah, you know, honestly, I get I, I've been kind of tired trying to master lock the referees for yeah. one bad decision all night, but that was very, very much in the running for me today. Was it, it, I didn't even realize I don't know. Can you remind me? Did Anthony Davis even have a technical? I don't that know point? if he did or not. And I I thought somebody I got one earlier in the game. I know that somebody got one because I think it was DeRozan shot four free throws in a row, but I thought that was Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't too sure because I, I, I can't recall, and maybe the chat knows, but specifically, I can't remember the first Anthony Davis technical, so to see him get yeah. ejected was confusing. Oh, the, the chat I was saying like, What's he did get attacked earlier, so that, that must have been on him then earlier. Okay. 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 So that makes more sense because you know you don't know you don't normally see yeah. players get tossed that you don't you don't normally see them pick up two technicals that quickly unless they said something no, absolutely right. foul to the referee. Um. So you know I think he. I mean, I don't know. Like, what do I say here? Like, is he right for arguing that? Yes. But like, I think if you have one technical, you can't risk it. Um. I mean. To be fair, though, if you want, if you want to spin it in a positive way, uh, it was a way exactly. to load manage right. AD because he only played twenty eight minutes tonight. Uh, so next next level <laughs> big brain. Um, That's load what it was. It was in game load management. But yeah, it was. I mean, look. So I watched like the Bulls take on the Clippers last night, and Paul George was going after the officials. I mean, they, and I was watching the Chicago feed. And the Chicago announcers, who, by the way, were, were pretty good. We talk a lot about bad announced crews. I thought they were the Bulls announced crew was pretty good. Um, a, a little bit homeowner get a few points, but that's you know to be expected. Not over the top like some other announced crews that we hear sometimes. But they were surprised at how much leeway the officials were giving Paul George because he had already had one technical foul. And so the refs didn't want to throw him out unless it was like serious. He's over the top. And so he was complaining a lot to the referees and they didn't do anything. And then in this case, tonight, we see Anthony Davis where he said, from what I can tell from reading, maybe he said something else, but from reading lips, it looked like all he said was that's BS, right? Now he actually said it, right. abbreviate, but, um, and the referee tossed him. That kind of inconsistency has got to be frustrating if you're a player, not knowing what kind of leeway you've got. And in a moment, I think you should be allowed to react to what's going on, particularly when, the referee didn't do something that you would expect the ref to do kind of it's it was a common courtesy thing that you tend to see in the nba and they didn't extend that to anthony davis and he was frustrated and i think rightfully so you know i think that um and i've noticed this throughout the years i'm sure you have too but i think it depends on the type of player who's complaining to the referee and what i mean by that is like does this player normally oh, have a reputation point. for complaining because like look let's face it this way like if that was Draymond Green that was arguing that call, I doubt he gets called for a technical because his technicals are pretty egregious at this point. Like he sure. barks at referees, right? Um, he is a known offense. He is like a known like technical foul. Like you know, he he grabs those by the bunches sometimes. But when it comes to Anthony Davis, who's a pretty even killed, mild mannered guy, doesn't really yell or complain like as much as other players do. 
Uh, so for a ref to see it coming from AD, it must make it, oh, this is way more serious. Like, hey, you need to like relax. And so I think, you know, from a referee standpoint, it's it's that, you know, that difference of like, what kind of player am I dealing with yeah. normally? Um, so, you know, like if I like, if I'm a player that normally picks up technicals and some of the stuff I see, and cause like, you know, referees don't just referee one game and that's it for the rest of the season. Oh, yeah, they know these players pretty well. Yeah, they officiate multiple games throughout the season. So for those referees that crew that called the technical, I don't know who it was, but um, they're probably like, yeah, I'm not used to seeing AD like this. He seems pretty upset and he's saying a lot of things I'm not accustomed to hearing. So I'm going to call him for a tech. But again, if it's like a, you know, DeMarcus Cousins type, Draymond Green, you know, one of those kinds of players that is known for getting technical fouls, they get away with a little bit more because they say sure. a lot worse things. <laughs> is it fair? Absolutely not. Like, that's not very consistent. The league should mm -hmm. crack down on that. I think that's another thing they should look at because technical fouls are kind of arbitrary oh, are. if you really yeah. think about it. Depends on the yeah, referee like, you know, and referee what they, having a, how they interpret something yeah. and all of that. And like, how long has that player been barking mm -hmm. at me throughout the game? Like, what have they been saying, et cetera? Like, you know, there's not a there's not a lot of set criteria for it. It's just you know, if you complain too much and it's it's too and it's like too foul or too too much, then yeah, you call them for it. But uh, it's kind of an inconsistency in the rule book. But basically, what I'm trying to say is that I don't think that it was fair for Anthony Davis to get tossed, especially because it was a second technical foul and it's a superstar. Yeah, they are very well aware call? that the person they're tossing out. Well, that's my thing, here. though, is that like it's not it's not good for the NBA to see their star players get thrown out like that, especially when it's a call that most people would probably argue is not the right one mm -hmm. to make in that moment. But, you know, it happened and it wasn't good. And I think it killed literally any chance of the Lakers coming back. Um, not to say that there was much of it at that point in the game because it was toward the end of the third quarter and they were already down yeah. by, I think, I 20. Mean, big, big picture. But it just helped. It, just, it helped Anthony Davis. Right. It gives them some load management. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We were joking in our Lakers Nation group chat, and I didn't want to jinx it at the time, but um, we were we were joking about we needed a days without incident with Anthony Davis. Oh yeah. Um, and that and that's more of a reference to like him falling, getting nicked up, etc. He's been okay the past two games. Yeah, it's been two days. Yep, that's true. Knock we were joking wood. that we would just need a zero. Yeah. We were joking we would just need a zero, but it's it's been two days, so so far so good. And you know him getting thrown out means that he didn't have to play a meeting of this fourth quarter where he could have got hurt. So well, so that's the, that's the upside. The glass is half full. All right, I think we can really call it a night at that. Yeah, I think we're. Are good you now. sure? Are you sure? Appreciate everybody coming okay. in and joining us. Make sure that you do subscribe to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel if you're not already. Turn on those notifications so you get notified whenever we go live. And uh, yeah, of course, make sure you do go follow Matt on Instagram. So that he doesn't get too <laughs> upset with you. <laughs> so, no, 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 no. I can't no, be upset with the true. fans. It's Trevor. That's true. He knows better. All right. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. Have a great night. We'll see you guys on Wednesday.